Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, if you've read ahead in the Beatitudes or you were paying attention when we were just singing, you know that our word for today is the word mercy, a word that we uh, hear quite often, a word that we use both in the church and without, but perhaps one of those words that uh, we don't stop to think about what exactly it means in our life. As I was thinking about that word this week, I I realized that it's used as an exclamation. You know, we say things like, have mercy. I haven't used a country music song in quite a while. So Travis Tritt has a song. I don't know how many of you know Travis Tritt, but he's one of my favorites from a while back. He has a song where he exclaims mercy. Now it happens to be because a beautiful woman had walked in the door which probably doesn't make it appropriate for a sermon, and it's certainly not the way we use the word. But as I was thinking about how in the world did a rich biblical word like mercy come to be associated with someone or something that is beautiful? We use the term in sports. There is the mercy rule. And that is in amateur sports, not in professional, but in amateur sports, sometimes there's a mercy rule, which means at a certain point in the game, if the score is too wide of a margin, they will just stop the game so that the losing team is not further embarrassed. When we think of mercy in terms of the Bible, we tend to think of it in the way that we just sung about. That is, we talk about God's mercies and how they are new every morning and greater than all of our sin. And that is certainly an appropriate way to think about it. And yet, we often do not go beyond that and think about our own call to be merciful. You see, the beatitude we're going to look at this morning is not just talking about God's mercy to us, though that is going to be the foundation. Instead, it's talking about our need as followers of Christ to be merciful to one another. Matthew, who is, of course, writing this gospel in chapter 9, I believe it is, he is called to be a disciple by Jesus himself. Matthew, as you may well know, was a tax collector, and tax collectors were not thought very highly in those days. They were often lumped with sinners. And so you would just hear the phrase, tax collectors and sinners. And as a result, Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees for hanging out with people like this, Matthew being one of them. And so just after his calling there, they are once again criticizing him for spending time with men like this. And Jesus tells them this, I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. Jesus is calling us to be merciful to one another. And that means that we need to see the other person's point of view. We need to make sure we understand where they are coming from and that we are not so quick to judge. That tells you we still need it in our day, doesn't it? 
because that is certainly something that is readily necessary today. So we're going to talk about mercy this morning from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. We're going to talk first of all about the meaning of mercy because again, it's one of those words that we hear and even use, but maybe don't quite know what it means biblically. And then we are going to talk about our own ministry of mercy. That is, you and I have a responsibility to be merciful to one another. And we're going to see the motive behind that as we conclude because God tells us why we are to be merciful in this particular text. I'm calling this spiritual mercy really just to coincide it with the other titles we've used in this series, but frankly, it's not a good title and I wanted to change it, but I'd already put it up there and so I didn't. But I want you to see that it's not just spiritual. We're going to see that it is physical, and that's the, that's the angle we often think about, that is helping someone physically. But surely we understand that in Jesus' ministry, it was a combination. That is, he helped people physically. He showed mercy to them, but he did so for the purpose of their spiritual life. And so we're going to talk about both of those things. All right, so let's look at Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and read like we've done. I'm not going to summarize it today. I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to focus on verse 7. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, he, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then our beatitude for the day, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, we're going to start with the meaning of mercy, because we can't be expected to demonstrate mercy if we do not understand what it means. This beatitude seems very straightforward. You show mercy to others, and you will be shown mercy in return. But what exactly is mercy? We know it's closely related to other words like grace and forgiveness. In fact, Paul uses it oftentimes in the, in the greetings of his letters or sometimes the conclusion, grace, peace, and mercy be to you or something of that nature. And yet, if we were pressed to give a definition, it might be somewhat difficult for us. Mercy can be defined as feeling sympathy for someone else, especially sympathy manifested in action. Sympathy, but sympathy manifested in action. And that gives us the two elements that are necessary for genuine mercy. It is feeling pity or sympathy toward someone else, which means they have a need. There is something missing in their life. They have a need that you recognize, and therefore you are sympathetic with their plight. But it doesn't stop there. Mercy goes further and seeks to meet that need. So it assumes a need on the part of the one who receives the mercy and the ability or resources on the part of the other one demonstrating mercy to meet that particular need. This is certainly evident in God's mercy toward us. 
which we will talk about in a little while. For now, I'm simply interested in getting a working definition of what mercy is so that we can ask and answer the question for ourselves, do I show mercy to others? Because that's the issue that confronts us in this beatitude. This is not primarily about rejoicing in God's mercy toward us. We ought to do that, and there's certainly reason for that, but this beatitude is about us understanding God's mercy toward us and then showing mercy to others. It is what we might call compassion in action. If you want just a brief, memorable definition of mercy, it is compassion in action. Now, as we've done throughout this, it is sometimes good to help us see what something means by talking about what it does not mean. Mercy is often associated in our world with liberal politicians who want to free everybody from the consequences of their crimes. That is not my definition of mercy. I'm not saying that we ought to open all the prison doors and let everybody go free. In fact, we're going to see that mercy and justice or mercy and truth are not contradictory terms. We tend to think they are sometimes. That in order to show mercy, we have to do away with justice. But that is not what we're talking about. People still need to be held accountable for their actions. And yet we have a hard time understanding how these two things can go together, which is what the cross is all about, which is why the cross is so, such a stumbling block to many people. How can God be merciful to me, a sinner, and yet show his justice against that sin at the same time? Again, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But I think one of the dilemmas here is often the case that we want mercy for ourselves, We are grateful that God has shown us mercy and forgiven us of our sins. But on the other hand, we want justice for everybody else, especially when they have offended me. I don't want to show you justice. I don't want to show you mercy. I want you to pay for what you've done against me while rejoicing in what God has done for me. We've seen this word a lot in our life group book, and we will see it again tonight. And we will see it again next week. In fact, next week, the chapter title has the word mercy in it. But in last week's life group lesson, we looked at Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. And that verse says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, there's that word again, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What a wonderful verse, right? God is rich in mercy. God overflows with mercy toward us. But I didn't finish the verse. The rest of the verse says this. And that that he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. I mean, here's a verse where God is talking about how merciful he is. He's revealing himself to Moses and by extension to us and talking about what a merciful God he is. And then in the very same verse, he says, but the guilty he will punish. So there's the two, the two aspects. There's mercy and there is justice. So clearly this verse shows us that they are not mutually exclusive. 
So given that definition, compassion in action or sympathy, but sympathy taking the next step and striving to meet the need of of the person involved, uh, we, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing there? And that's the whole gist of this beatitude. Am I demonstrating mercy to other people? Now that we know the definition, is that something I do on a regular basis? Well, I'd have to say that most of us would say, no, I know I fall short in that. And so before we move on, I want to think briefly about some of the excuses we give to avoid showing mercy. Some people claim that it's just not their personality or their temperament. We know that there are some people who are more merciful than others. I know that there are many people who are more merciful than me, and therefore we can just conclude, well, that's just not who I am. We have just completed a study on Wednesday nights on the spiritual gifts, and we acknowledge that spiritual gifts are are given to all believers, and yet at the same time, some of the spiritual gifts, while they are given to some, are to be applied by all. And I know that sounds a little bit confusing, but let let me use this example. There's the spiritual gift of giving, but yet all of us are to give. Some just have a greater ability or capacity to do that because they've been gifted in that way, but all of us are to do it. And the same is true of mercy. Some people have the spiritual gift of mercy, but that doesn't mean I can step back and say, well, that's just not my spiritual gift. I don't have to show mercy because it's not my spiritual gift. If that's your excuse or mine, you've missed this whole beatitude. And by the way, this is necessary for kingdom living. He's commanding all of us to show mercy. Of course, we understand that these are supernatural beatitudes. That is, we cannot do them on our own. And so while we may not have the gift of mercy, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live in this manner. Another excuse sometimes people give, not just for this, but for a lot of things, I just don't have the time. I I just, there's just not enough hours in the day for me to do what you're telling me I ought to do. And we use that excuse all of the time. But I've said repeatedly through the years that what we do demonstrates our priorities. And so when we say I don't have time for something, it's really, that's not a priority for me. And so our lack of mercy sometimes just demonstrates that we're more self-centered than we are other-centered. And I realize that we live in a different age than our parents grew up in. Our parents grew up in a time when neighbors knew neighbors and neighbors helped neighbors. Now we just lock our doors and close our blinds and probably can't name who our neighbors are. And so we certainly don't help them. An anonymous writer wrote this story about her days in uh, nursing school. She was in nursing school and and they were given a pop quiz one day and she was a conscientious student and so she was ready for the pop quiz and did quite well on it until she came to the last question. The last question on the quiz was this, what is the first name of the lady who cleans this classroom? And she thought, is this a joke? Like this has nothing to do with nursing I've seen this lady, she appears to be in her 50s, and and I've seen her from time to time, but I have no idea what her name is. And so she turned in the quiz, leaving that one blank, and finally someone asked the professor, is this question going to count toward our grade? And he said, absolutely. And he went on to tell them that you're going to meet a lot of people in your time of nursing, in your job. All of them are significant. 
and they deserve your attention and care, even if all you do is smile and say hello. And this anonymous writer said she never forgot that lesson, that everybody was important. And that's what mercy is in part about. Well, let's talk secondly about the ministry of mercy then. How are we going to show compassion in action? How are we practically going to put into practice what this beatitude is talking about? We must always keep in mind that the way we live declares who we are. That our Christianity is to be on display, not necessarily because we carry a Bible or quote scripture, though there's nothing wrong with that, but primarily in the way we live our lives, the way we act and talk with other people. Therefore, if our Christianity is controlling our lives, we are to be people of mercy. Well, I think some pictures would help here. What does it look like to show mercy? And if you know your Bible, you might immediately go into your mind to one of the most famous parables Jesus told, the parable of the good Samaritan. That parable was about being a neighbor, but it was about more than that. The parable tells the story about a man. It's a made-up story. That's what a parable is. But this man is on a journey, and he is robbed. He is beaten, he is robbed, and he is left for dead. And there he is on the side of the road, and multiple people pass him by. There was a priest who came by, and being a religious leader, we would think that he was going to do something about it, but he doesn't. He just walks on by. There was a Levite, and likewise, we would expect, given his position, that he too would stop and do something about this man, but he didn't. He too walked by. Thirdly, there was a Samaritan, and you know that Samaritans were despised. They were, they were half-breeds. And so the fact that a Samaritan is the, the hero of this story is shocking, at least in the first century. But the Samaritan notices the man. He binds up his wound. He puts him on his animal. He takes him to the nearest town. He, he puts him in an inn. He leaves money for the innkeeper to care for the man and says, if you need more, when I come back, I'll pay even that. And so Jesus poses the question at the end of that parable. He says, which of these three men was a neighbor to the man who had been beaten and robbed? And the lawyer who Jesus is talking to in the parable says, the one who showed mercy. That's a picture of mercy. We tend to think of it as a, a neighbor parable, but it's also a parable about mercy. Because the right answer from the lawyer was the one who showed mercy is the one that was a neighbor to this robber. That's a, that's a mercy in action. So if you think about what you and I need to do to fulfill this beatitude, looking at the Good Samaritan parable is a good example. But it's not just helping the poor. It's not just helping those who have wronged us. There is another aspect of mercy. <coughs> Excuse me, that it's not just physical, but it is spiritual. You see, mercy says, again, by definition, that we have sympathy toward the needs of others and we strive to do something about it. Well, what, what's people's greatest needs? It's spiritual, right? We don't tend to think of that sometimes, but it is. It's not just physical. Now, the physical is easier to see. That is why mercy is often only connected with the physical because we can see someone's physical needs much more clearly than we can their spiritual needs because spiritual needs are, are embedded below the surface. 
But as believers, we've got to understand that someone's greatest need is a relationship with Christ and that if they have not uh, by faith trusted in Christ, they are sinners separated from God and their biggest need is thus to be saved. And therefore, it involves ministering of mercy for us to share the gospel with them. And not just evangelism, though that's important, but also helping one another spiritually. That is, we are a body of believers. Whether we're gathered in a larger group like this or whether you're in a small group like Sunday school or life group, we're here to walk the Christian faith together with one another as a body of Christ. And therefore, ministry of mercy means that you and I are helping one another spiritually. Whether that is sharing the gospel with someone in order that they might be saved or whether that is coming alongside someone spiritually so that they can be comforted and encouraged in their walk with the Lord. Now, sometimes that means talking to them about their faith. Sometimes it means just being with them. The ministry of your presence, if you want to call it that, which means not gifts, but being there with someone. When someone is going through a difficult time, physically or spiritually, and you simply come alongside them and you walk that difficult time and road with them, that's mercy. Whether that's physical or spiritual or as we see in the ministry of Jesus, both. Jesus healed many physical needs, but the greater goal was always in meeting physical needs to demonstrate who he was so that they might come to know him spiritually. So there is a combination here for us as well. As we demonstrate mercy to one another and to those around us, it is meeting physical needs but it is also dealing with their spiritual lives. Well, let's look lastly then at the motive for mercy. I mean, why should we do this? Why is this so important? It will cost us time. It will cost us money. I mean, when you get involved in someone's life, it can get messy. And again, we live in a different day and age today where we don't want to get involved in someone else's life because after all, they're going to get mad, they're going to get offended, they might sue us, and all of those are legitimate concerns in our world. But that doesn't mean we stay away from everybody else and not show mercy. Now again, a quick reading of this verse might look like a selfish motive. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So you say, well, does that mean that if I show mercy to you, then I can expect that you're going to show mercy to me, and therefore, if I want mercy, I just got to be merciful. That sounds rather selfish, right? I'm now the focus, and I'm showing you mercy so that you will in turn show me mercy, but that's not the point here. God is the subject of the second clause, just like he's been in every other beatitude. So the promise is not show mercy to others and they will likewise show mercy to you. That might happen, but that's not the promise here. The promise is that God will show mercy to us when we show mercy to others. You say, now wait a minute. Does that mean that my salvation is contingent upon me being merciful to others? And that if I'm not merciful, then I'm going to lose my salvation. Well, surely you know enough about what we teach around here and what we believe the Bible says that that is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation by not being merciful, but I am saying the very same thing we're going to see later when it comes to forgiveness. 
And that is, if we refuse to be merciful to others, it says something about our heart. And it says that we might not be genuine believers. You're not going to lose your salvation, but it might be a testimony of the fact that you're not really saved because salvation is based on God's mercy to us. And when we understand God's mercy to us, then we are going to be merciful to others. A genuine child of God will show mercy to others because we've been shown the mercies of God. Again, we've talked about that repeatedly in our, in our book. And next, next Sunday's uh, chapter, the first one, simply says from Ephesians chapter 2 that God is rich in mercy. And because God is rich in mercy to us, it ought to drive us to be merciful to others. We tend to speak of God's grace, but it's also, also his mercy that has looked upon our pitiful condition And not only felt sympathy, but done something about it. Remember those two elements. Sympathy towards the needs of another, but moving beyond that and doing something about it. So God has seen your need. If you're a believer, God has seen your need, and that is you are a sinner separated from him. But he's not just seen the need, he has done something about it. He has sent his son to die on the cross, having lived a sinless life, and to be raised on the third day so that we can trust in what he's done for us and receive the mercy of God. A need that we could not meet on our own, God has now met in the person of his son. So if you've experienced that, then the natural result is the motive is that you're going to show mercy to others. So the motive for mercy is the mercy that you've already received. Because God has done so much for us, we are to respond by doing the the same for others. Jesus says in Luke's gospel, be you merciful as your father also is merciful. And there really should be no other reason than that. Because this is who God is, and we're his children, then we want to do likewise. One of the things we've, we've tried to do in my life group is we've tried to emphasize not just the character quality or the heart of God that we're looking at that particular night. That's the start. But we've tried to go a step beyond that and say, well, if this is who God is, if this is who Jesus is, if this characterizes him and I'm his follower, and God is trying to make me more like him, then whatever quality we're looking at that we see in God or Jesus, I ought to be emulating. I ought to be growing in that quality. And that's the same thing we see here in mercy. Because God is filled with mercy, then I am to be merciful to others. There was another parable Jesus told. These parables are great pictures. The parable of the unforgiving servant. It's a parable about a guy who owed a lot of money. And in those days, if you owed money and couldn't repay it, they could put you in debtor's prison. Which, of course, I'm not sure why they would do that because once you're in prison, you can't can't work and pay the money back. So it sort of defeated itself, if you ask me. But anyway, that's what they would do. And so this man owed a bunch of money, no way he could ever repay it. And and he he, he went to the guy he owed the money and he pled for mercy. He says, just give me time and I'll repay you everything. And the man says all right, I'll do that. Your debt is forgiven. You don't have to pay it back. It was a massive amount. And then this man who had just been forgiven of this massive amount is on the street and he sees a man who owes him by comparison something much smaller. 
And he comes to this man, and the same wording is used. This man says the same thing to him that he had said to the man he owed. He begs for mercy. But this man says, no, I'm not going to be merciful to you. And he throws him in prison until he can repay. And in conclusion to that parable, Jesus said, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In one of the most pointed chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks about people who have rebelled against God. He talks about the wrath of God. And it's a very, very harsh chapter. And he talks about what people have done to merit the wrath of God. And he concludes the chapter by saying that they, are, they have a reprobate mind. And because of that, they do that which is convenient. They're filled with unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness and covetousness. They are malice and full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, backbiters, haters of God. I'm just listing a few of them. I mean, the list is, is very serious. You say, what's that got to do with mercy? I mean, why are you bringing that up now? Well, because at the end of that list of all of these things, a list that incurred, includes murder uh, and sexual sins, the last word in some translations is translated unmerciful. Paul lumps that among all of these, what we would consider to be heinous sins, categories that, that we don't want to be included in, and unmerciful or ruthless is the way the ESV has it, is one of those sins. One of those things that it's added to the list. So this is an, an important topic uh, to be sure. On another occasion, Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees once again. And uh, they, of course, thought they were doing everything just right. And he looks at them and he says, you've tithed. You've given even of the smallest amount of your income. But you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. Well, what's weightier? He tells us. Justice mercy and faithfulness. Jesus declares mercy one of the weightier matters of the law. So now we've got the meaning of mercy. It is compassion in action. It is sympathy towards someone else, but then taking the step of trying to meet their need. They have a need they cannot meet. We have the the resources or whatever is necessary to meet that need, and so we put compassion in action. That is our call in this beatitude. It is not just about singing about God's great mercy to me, though that's wonderful to do. It is not just about rejoicing in how merciful God has been and how we can say his mercies are new every morning. That's just the first part. And if we don't go to the second part, we've missed the whole idea of mercy altogether. Because the second part is, yes, God's mercies are new every morning. Yes, God's mercies are greater than all of our sins. But now, be merciful. Because God has shown mercy to you, we need to show mercy to others. And what that looks like in our individual lives is obviously going to differ. It doesn't mean we have to meet every need or at least meet every need the way people think they need their needs met. Sometimes mercy is saying no. Sometimes mercy is someone comes to us and they want money. What they really need is a stronger work ethic or 
some financial counseling, but they think what they need is the money in the moment. Sometimes the mercy for us is to say, no, that, I know that's not going to help you. And I want to help you longer term. And so we try to do it in another way. Furthermore, we must get, get, not get so involved in helping people with their physical needs that we forget about their spiritual needs. You know, sometimes, and we're all guilty of this, we look at sinners out there in disgust for the way they're living their lives. We shake our heads. I mean, how can they do that? How can they think that? How can they live like that? And we forget that were it not for the grace and mercy of God, we'd be thinking that same way. And we'd be living that same way. And so instead of looking down our noses at others who are sinners in need of a savior and they're only living according to their nature, we need to have mercy upon them. We need to have compassion toward them. We need to reach out in loving ways in order that they might see that we love them. And we need to show them mercy because God has been so merciful to us. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for your mercy showered upon us. We sing about it. We rejoice in it. And yet sometimes that's where we stop. Grateful for the mercy that's been showered upon us but not being willing to show mercy to our next door neighbor or our coworker. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our need to be merciful to others as your hands and feet, as we so often say, as, as your voice and representative in, in this life. May we be merciful to those whom we come in contact with. Not because they deserve it. We didn't deserve your mercy either. But because you've showered us with mercy, help us to be merciful to one another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.